This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field. He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast, a very important podcast today. It's podcast number 46, but it is a monster podcast because of the subject we'll be talking about today, which is the Philadelphia Eagles against the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC title game at Lincoln Financial Field, 3 p.m. on Sunday the winner going to the Super Bowl. Can the Eagles pull it off and go to another Super Bowl? Well, that's what we're here to discuss. The Eagles right now, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Now, this is a little telling to me. i got to be honest with you, because when I tried to map this game out last week, right after the games were completed, I thought the 49ers would come in here as only a one-point underdog. Um, and I even thought it could be a pick em. The fact that it's two and a half is telling me that Vegas is favoring the Eagles. Now, I know people out there go, well, Mike, it should be three. No, 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 no. Not in a circumstance like this. San Francisco, a two and a half point five, uh, two and a half point underdog to me is like a three point home favorite for the Eagles in this kind of a situation. And that is really swaying me in this game above the obvious. Uh, and so here is the obvious. And I tweeted this out yesterday. Uh, And, you know, I don't give you false feelings. Uh, I never get into uh, homerism, really. I I try to to look at the game objectively and give you my honest opinion of the game. So I will give you this tweet that I put out yesterday. Uh, And here's what I wrote. I think Brock Purdy has been impressive. Period. And they've won two cozy home games. And they have. They won two games at home in the playoffs. But it's Thursday, I wrote, and I still can't fathom that he's going to go on the road and make enough plays to beat a number one seed. And that's the way I feel about the game. And I'm not disrespecting Brock Purdy at all. There's a lot of Purdyites out there that came back at me on Twitter saying, Mike Purdy's calm and he's this, he's that, he's no ordinary. Yeah, 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 I got it. He's played very well. He surprised me. But the question is, and the key to this whole game, Is he going to be savvy enough to come to Philly and win an NFC title game? There have been examples of other guys that have done it with lesser ability, right? If you want to go back in ancient history, you can go back to Jake DeLome 
And you can go back even further to Brad Johnson. But the one thing that separated those two guys, all right, they weren't good quarterbacks. They were veteran quarterbacks. They were in the league for a while. And it's a little different. If you've got guys with lesser ability, you look at their experience level. Brock Purdy has never accomplished this kind of a thing. And so I don't believe he's going to make enough plays. It's going to be a close game. The Eagles are going to run away with this game. But I believe right out of the chute that that is the key factor, that they will be enough able to get enough heat on this kid to make him make a mistake. And one mistake in a game like this is enough to decide it. All right, the Mike Masnelli Podcast, of course, is brought to you by the great people at Bet Rivers. If you haven't downloaded the Bet Rivers app, do it now because you got to make your bet. I like the Eagles to win the game, and I like them to cover. All right, so I'll give you that right out of the chute. But let's go deeper into the analysis of this game. I spent the last, I don't know, 55 hours researching this game for the little tidbits that could decide whether you like the, the Eagles or the 49ers in this game. So let's go with the obvious. Uh, they're evenly matched. You're talking about the Eagles, the number two defense in the league, the number three offense in the league. You're talking about the 49ers, the number one defense in the league, and the number five offense. So uh, it's the number one defense in the league versus what I think might be the most diverse offense in the league. So keep that in mind as we as we go down the list here of, of these two teams and the matchup. Uh, obviously, the Eagles' strength is running the football. The Eagles' strength is going on the, on the talents of Jalen Hurts and what he can do in his own read and RPOs and all that stuff. But primarily, if they run the football – they, they're a pretty solid and diverse offensive team. But once you establish the run, it makes everybody else better. Once you establish Jalen Hurts as a threat, it makes everything else on that offense home. We already know that, right? So the 49ers are the number one team against the run this year. Uh, okay, uh, that's fine. But the Eagles running attack is based on a read option. So let's just get inside that a little bit. To stop a read option, defensive line really must penetrate uh, an offensive line. The Eagles offensive line pretty damn good. Like I'm, I'm not sitting here thinking that the, the 49ers, to, to mitigate the damage the Eagles can do with the RPOs, are going to get penetration enough to gum the works up on that. All right? So I think that's an Eagle advantage. 49ers also have not had a 100-yard rusher against them this year. I don't know if that matters, but I'll throw it out there to point out that they're pretty good against the run. So I assume this week that they will be practicing a lot on, on the read option and RPOs and what they need to do to stop it. They held running backs this year to 3.3 yards per carry. That was first in the league. Doesn't include the quarterback. So you have to look at how they fared against quarterbacks that can run. They faced two quarterbacks this year who are what you would call running quarterbacks, threat to run the football. They lost to both of them, all right? Now, they were mitigating circumstances in those games, but they, they lost to Justin Fields early in the year, and then they lost to Marcus Mariota later in the year. Mariota, Fields didn't hurt him that much. Mariota did. He ran six times for 50 yards. So just keep that in mind here. Um, the Eagles... Rushing attack is, is beyond Jalen Hurts, frankly. They are a four-headed rushing attack. And, and I wasn't going to say four until Kenneth Gainwell popped out of the woods last week for 114. 
So they use all the weapons, and they need to use all the weapons because I believe Miles Sanders is still banged up, and they've had to divvy the carry. So they're going to find that the, the Eagles have a diverse running attack that's going to come at them that starts with the quarterback. And that's a pretty tough thing to just say, well, they stopped the run. They stopped the run. Can they stop this kind of a run? All right. The 49ers defense. We'll stay with this theme here. The 49er defense held opponents under 24 points 11 times in the last 12 games. They're hot. We know that. They've won 12 straight. In the last 12, they've led the league in point differential. So their defense has played great. Their offense has played great. They lead the league in point differential. They stop the run. They hold opponents under 24 points. The Eagles usually need to score more than 24 points to win the game. Okay. Um, also, uh, they have mobile linebackers. All right. Now, where are the Eagles the weakest? Um, the Eagles, um, it, mobile linebackers can cover a tight end. And, and I'll get back to this in a little bit. But Fred Warner is about the most mobile linebacker in the league. Um, however, you would think they could st stop the tight end. Tight ends this year against the 49ers for some unknown reason, which probably means their safeties are weak. Rank very low in rating against tight ends. 98.2 rating versus tight ends. That would indicate that Dallas Goddard could have a field day in this game. All right, let's look at the 49ers pass coverage. Tredavious Ward, Demandre Lenore. Uh, 49ers basically rely on zone coverage most of the time. Ward is the better cornerback. He held quarterbacks to a 79.3 rating this year. So if you're going to pick on somebody, it would be Lenore. Um, can they handle wide receiver number ones? They haven't done a great job of handling wide receiver number ones this year. Now, if you go to the Eagles, wide receiver number one would be whom? Um, sometimes it varies, but your wide receiver number one is probably A.J. Brown. Uh, a, a word about A.J. Brown. He's not happy right now. He wasn't happy last week not getting targets. If you look at his history, he has followed mediocre games with monster games, especially if the guy is determined. So, if you use that logic, he's going to be a bear to cover as a wide receiver number one in this game, and hopefully they can get him matched up against DeMondre Lelore, who is their worst corner. All right, now let's look at the 49ers and their biggest bonus on defense. Well, he's the end rusher. His name is uh, Nick Boza. All right. His brother's Joey. He's more of a nut. Nick's kind of nuts. I was going to help you out. I didn't know if you needed a little help there, but. <laughs> yeah, no, don't worry. I got it. It's, it's Nick Boza. Uh, all right, so let's let's look at Nick Boza and where the 49ers might line him up. Because if I'm defensive coordinator, I go, um, if I line him up against Lane Johnson, I might be successful. Lane's hobbling. But my my better option is to get him to the other side where he can work against Jordan Mailata. No disrespect to Jordan Mailata. He's the weaker offensive tackle in this situation. He has given up six sacks this year. Lane Johnson has given up zero sacks uh all right so if the, if the eagles get in third and long situations 
it may be problematic. Because in third and long situations, if I'm the defensive coordinator, I got Boza against Maialata. And that, and that's the bottom line. So keep your eye on, on, on that kind of a situation here. Um, they would love to get Jalen Hurts in dropback situations. Now, dropback situations would be third, seven, third, and eight. Because that's where he's the weakest. If they can get him in long situations, uh, Jalen Hurts against those dropback situations is mediocre. He's average. He's 17th in the league. Chances are he doesn't hurt you in situations like that. So the key to the 49ers defense is to get the Eagles in those kind of situations, which makes the early downs really important. All right, you with me so far? This is a dig deep, Darren. I'm digging deep into the matchups here. Are you delighted so far? I'm with you. I'm delighted. You got to get into that. How the Eagles, the Eagles going to attack that front seven of the 49ers. That's where you got to go. That's the crux, the front seven of the 49ers. There you go. So there you go. This is hours worth of research and study in my film room, my own personal film room, which is a beautiful thing. It's, I still run eight millimeter films with the, you know, all right. Yeah, I like that. Let's get to Brock Purdy. All right. Because this is a major focus, obviously. Um, Two K, it's cozy playoff games at home. As I've said, this will be an entirely different pressure for the kid. I, I don't care how many people want to say this kid's been cool. He's been cool, yeah, but he's also been shaky in the first part of games so far, and they were home games. Uh, the NFC title game pressure is an area where it's going to be really tough for him to feel totally comfortable. And I don't care how cool the kid is. He's still a rookie. He's still a rookie without a pedigree. And he's coming into the most dangerous situation in his professional life. If you think he's going to be able to negotiate that with no flaws, I got news for you. It's probably not going to happen. So this is what I'm saying to 49er fans out there who believe in Purdy. I think, hey, God bless you. I salute you believe in Purdy. I believe in Purdy, too, was a 49er fan. I'd have to, though, switch my mindset that it's a completely different situation that you now have to evaluate this kid in. All right, let's look at last week. Against big pass rushing teams, what they do to Purdy. Dallas, a big pass rush team, right? He was just okay. I mean, he he didn't win the game for the 49ers. He didn't lose it either. He was just okay. No TDs, a sub-90 rating. Now, uh, the, the secondary with the, with the Eagles um, against Kittle, again, as we talked about, is going to be – very key. Um, I don't like TJ Edwards in coverage very much. I, I don't like Kaiser White coverage very much. But the Eagles have an advantage here. And it's not that Devon, uh, Avante Maddox is coming back. I don't think he's coming back to this game. But CJ Garner Johnson, in that kind of a role, I think could be effective against Kittle. So I, I don't think it's that much of a damage here where they're going to be facing linebackers and run wild on linebackers. I think Jonathan Gannon is smart enough to to have C.J. Garner-Johnson play a significant role against the tight end in this game. Uh, okay. Uh, the Niners are ninth in rushing attempts. They're going to run the football, okay? They've got a lot of guys that can run the football. Christian McCaffrey's a little banged up. That, that, that doesn't spell good news for the 49ers. Debo Samuel, they're all a little banged up. They all missed practice this week. So they're going to have to parcel their running attack uh, around here. And, and – um, the, the, the backup is also banged up. So uh, they're not coming in totally healthy. They are 26th in pass. Elijah Mitchell. The Elijah Mitchell is banged up. 26th in pass attempts in the league. They're going to run the football. It, it, there's, no, there's no 
mystery of what the 49ers are going to try to do to win this game. Um, if the Eagles get ahead in this game, tremendously key. If they get ahead, they have the advantage the whole game. They can k- take control of this game because the 49ers are not going to quick strike them. So um, here, I know people, if they win the toss, like to defer. In this game, if I were the Eagles, I would not defer to the second half. Uh, it's, it's like an automatic. you got to think outside the box here. If you want to get ahead of the 49ers and you want them to trail you and you want them to grind it out on the ground, which is to their disadvantage if they're behind, you want to take the ball first, Nick. Win the toss. Take the ball. Score early. Get your first drive down the field and take the lead in this game. And the whole complexion changes. Now, we'll see if they do that. These coaches are stubborn. They like to have the ball in the second half. I get it. To me, that's faulty thinking, especially in a, in a game like this. All right. Um, Purdy has faced one pass defense this year that has been ranked in the top 12, and that was last week. That was the Dallas Cowboys. They're ranked 12th in pass defense. The Eagles are ranked number one. I'm just giving you facts here. As you, as you move along here, that try, trying to make you look at this game logically and, and naturally. Uh, this is a meaningless stat, but I'll give it to you anyway because I saw it on Twitter. Uh, and I am almost embarrassed to give you this stat. But they've gone back to Purdy's college days. And Purdy uh, was 10 and 13 on the road in college. That doesn't mean a hill of beans to me, right? Because he's playing with Iowa State. Maybe they weren't like the best team in the Big 12, and so that doesn't mean anything. Uh, so, But I think I would throw that out for you so you can tell your friends. Hey, he, on the road, he sticks. All right? Just to give you, just to give you a little more encouragement. In the NFL, he, he's faced only two road games, okay? So in his, in his career where he's on this run, two of the games were on the road. One was at the Seahawks. Pretty tough environment to play, but still fairly close to San Francisco where some Niner fans can get some tickets and dilute that that Seattle crowd. All right, they won that game 21 to 13. He was 17 for 26 for 217 yards, 8.3 average, pretty good. Two TDs, one sack, zero interceptions, and his rating was 117.0. That's pretty damn good on the road in Seattle. Now let's go to the Raiders, his second game on the road. 37-34, 37-34, they won that game most recently. He was 22 for 35 at 284. Two touchdowns, one interception, and 95.4 rating. Two games on the road. Not a hostile environment against the Raiders. Fairly hostile environment uh, at the Seahawks. And he survived both those tests, all right? So that's a feather in my man's cap. But again, these are regular season games. These aren't NFC title games in big, bad Philadelphia where the atmosphere is ferocious. All right. The Hassan Reddick factor for the Eagles. You can look at two factors here, and they both join each other. How Purdy's going to fare is tied in with how Hassan Reddick is going to fare here. Hassan Reddick will be lined up against Mike McGlinchey. Local dude. Like the kid. In fact, he came into my studio one day. I don't know why he was there, a friend of a friend. And he came into the studio. It's a monster six foot eight kid who at, the, at that time was playing for a young, uh, was a freshman going to Notre Dame, just coming out, coming out of uh, uh, Penn Charter High School. He's a Warrington kid, nice enough kid. He's going to have his hands full with Hassan Reddick. Little tidbit. He's also the cousin of Matt Ryan. 
He's Matt Ryan's cuz. I dig deep for this stuff. And I'm going to even go further. His grandfather is named Bill McClatchy. Bill McClatchy runs a hardware store in Croydon, Pennsylvania, which is like Bristol Township, where I'm from, called B&B Hardware. He's a working-class kid. I like the kid. He's going to have his hands full with Mike McGlinchey. All right. I have extrapolated the data for you here. Darren, your reaction to the data I just gave you, and then I'm going to go with my prediction. All right, so two things, one on each side of the ball. I'll start with the Eagles on the side of the, on the defensive side of the ball. I agree with you. I think maybe you bring Maddox down to to shadow Kittle. He's the guy who goes everywhere with Kittle. Kittle in the passing game. Maddox might not play. I don't think he's playing. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, okay. Gardner-Johnson, that's right. Uh, whether Maddox plays or not, if Maddox is, plays, you put him on Kittle. If not, it's Gardner-Johnson. Whoever that slot guy is has to go with Kittle because Kittle is the biggest threat in the passing game. When the Eagles are on the offense, so you talked about Warner. Warner is an incredible cover linebacker. If you watched that game against Dallas last week, he was running with C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb in the slot, step for step. Whenever C.D. was in, in the slot, Warner was with him down the field, 30 yards down the field making plays. He can cover anybody. It would not, but if you look at the Eagles offensively, there really isn't a slot guy you worry about except the tight end. But I don't know that you need Warner to cover Goddard. They have other backers that can take, they can pick him up on routes, and a safety that can pick him up if need be. You mean it Kittle? Would not surprise me, Kittle. If Kittle, no, no, no. I'm talking about the Eagles. Um, the Eagles on offense. Okay. I'm talking about Warner oh, right now. Talking about Goddard being covered. Talking about Goddard, yeah. So he, I think that the the Niners can cover Goddard with another backer or a safety if need be. It would not surprise me if Warner's number one job on Sunday is Jalen Hurts. Follow him. He does not beat us with his legs. It wouldn't. I'm not saying they're going to do that all game, but it would not surprise me because Warner is so quick and can hang with anybody that his number one priority on Sunday is to keep that quarterback in check. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, and, and guess what? And I would love that because I beat you to death in the middle of the field against your zone. If he if he's going to stay stable and look for Hurts all the time, I got plenty of gaps in that zone that I'm going to hit to A.J. Brown with. Well, that, yeah, to I, me, would be foolish to do that. To worry that that works in the Eagles' favor if Warner has to semi-spy Jalen Hurts. All right. That's my uh, analysis for the game. Now here's my prediction. Uh, I originally gave the Eagles 27 points in this game. I think that may be stretching it. The 49ers haven't given up more than 24 points. I respect them. I don't think the Eagles are now going to run wild on them. But I think they're going to score enough. And so I have taken my score down to 24 to 20. The Eagles win. The Eagles cover. I see the 49ers with... Two touchdowns and a couple of field goals by Robbie Gold. And I see the Eagles scoring three tutties with one field goal from uh, the great Jake Elliott. All right, so there's your final. 24 to 20, the Eagles go to the Super Bowl. Unbelievable. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, it's the Mike Missnelli podcast. Let's get into the nitty gritty of this game. And uh, to do that, we uh, had to solicit the information from a longtime sports reporter in the Bay Area. He's uh, worked for the San Francisco Examiner, San Francisco Chronicle, 
the old the, the national newspaper knows the Bay Area sports uh, like like uh, his fingernails. And uh, his name is Ray Ratto, and he joins us live from the Bay Area. Ray, how you doing? It's uh, it's seven thirty here. I should be in bed. I know it's amazing that um, I, I was I was shocked that uh, you were willing to get up uh, that early to do this. We could have done it at any time. You select. Are you sharper in the morning? No, I just <laughs> I'm up because at some point I have to be up. I sleep like a vampire. Okay, all right, that sounds good. A uh, lot of hype for this game and uh, in Philly, and uh, of course the big dynamic is you know the Forty Nine ers the hottest team in. in in the NFL right now, and the Eagles are slightly favored in this game. I'm actually surprised they're favored by two and a half. Uh, what is your uh, original uh, outlook of this game when you saw this matchup? Uh, how do you feel about it as far as the 49ers go? Um, I think they're going to have to punch uphill a little bit because as good as they are, there is nothing they do that is materially superior to anything the Eagles do. Um if Philadelphia has a, a struggle that the 49ers can attack, it's if they're not great against the run. But that's all sort of football nerdery. Um, for the most part, these are the two best teams in an otherwise mediocre conference. And if it wasn't going to be these two teams, they would have played this game about 4 a.m. on on the Home and Garden Network. <laughs> Uh, wow. Uh, gee, all of a sudden people in Philadelphia are saying maybe this game isn't as important uh, as they think it is. Uh, boy, you know how things work in Philadelphia. Uh, uh, people are pretty crazed here uh, because, you know, this was kind of an unexpected year. It's funny because in 2017, all of a sudden they get to the Super Bowl. It was like a miracle that happened. And this team, nobody really knew how good they were going to be coming into this year. And here they are as the number one seed. And it's kind of freaky to people here. But now that uh, it's here and they get a chance to go to the Super Bowl, uh, people are really in. And if the Eagles lost this game, this city, and you know it, it would be totally devastated. So so right now you think the Eagles have the edge. Yeah. And look, if they lose on Sunday, you guys still have the Flyers. So stop whining. <laughs> um, no, I. you just look at what they do and how they do it, I think. I mean, they have a great offensive line, and offensive lines are hugely underrated when it comes to deciding who the best teams are. Um, I know everybody wants to focus on Jalen Hurts, but they have, like, some of everything. And, I mean, their defense is preposterously good. Um, and it's sort of the same way with the 49ers, where everybody wants to talk about Brock Purdy as though all they really needed was a seventh-round draft choice to save them from their own inadequacies, when, in fact, he's probably, like, at best, the fifth most important player they have because he is essentially Jimmy Garoppolo. And everybody likes Purdy more because he's younger, he's, you know, fresh out of the box, you know, and they imagine him being dramatically different than the guy who's won games for them but that they all hate. When in fact is he is Garoppolo because the system is the thing that works best. They, you know, they they went out, they got Christian McCaffrey, and suddenly they've got an even more dynamic running game than they already had. Um, they went out and got Trent Williams so that they could have at least one lineman who can pass block. Um, George Kittle is, you know, an excellent tight end. He's certainly not the best in the league, but he's awfully good. And their defense is preposterous, but for the most part. Um, these two teams are a lot alike. And because they're a lot alike, 
Um, this seems like the only matchup that I think America can tolerate. I mean, if it was going to be like Cowboys Vikings, I mean, people would have been you know, marching to the sea and leaping off cliffs like lemmings. I mean, this was the only one that could be. All right, let's let, let's say you brought up Purdy, so let, let's talk about him now. Uh, I, I I understand he's been unflappable, but uh, he hasn't. You know, I'm looking at that. He's got to come to Philadelphia and, and perform the way he's performed. Um, knowing what you know about him, uh, knowing what what you've seen, uh, is he is he capable? Of that is, it, could this moment be too big for him or not? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, Philly's different than any other place. So I, I, but the thing about him is he's not tasked to overcome forces that he can't overcome. He's tasked to make sure that McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel get taken care of. He doesn't have to go 40 for 35. All he has to be is efficient and not mistake prone. And so far he's been that if he can keep, you know, the fans out of his head, um, you know, I don't I don't see that this is an enormous problem. I mean, he's played at Kansas State, for Christ's sake. What's Philadelphia? Um, no, I, I, I think because he's not being asked to do extraordinary things, he can he can be OK. I mean, I don't think that he's going to, you know, need to throw 45 times unless the, the Eagles take a big lead. And if they do, they're not, you know, the 49ers lose anyway. So. He's not playing with the casino's money, but he's pretty close to it. But he's also playing uh, not only in Philly, but he's playing against a pass rush that's pretty intense. It led the league in sacks this year with with a guy uh, uh, Reddick who's just been crazy, and and three other guys with double digit sacks. Has he faced that kind of pressure? How do you do you think he fares up against that kind of pressure? He faced that pressure last week against Dallas, and well, the one thing we discovered is that. He is not nearly as good going to his left. And if you can force him that way, you can minimize some of the throws he can make. I mean, I think that's probably standard for most quarterbacks. But it's the first sign that anybody spotted a weakness that can be exploited. Um, And I think Philadelphia can do that, too. So he has faced it. He didn't, like, you know, soil himself, you know, dealing with it. But I suspect that Philadelphia's defense is better than Dallas's. Uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty good. But let, let's look at where he might be able to exploit. He throws in the middle of the field. He loves to throw in the middle of the field. Uh, the Eagles not, have not covered tight ends very well this year. To me, that's a major mismatch with with Kittle and a linebacker covering them. Now, they may, may use C.J. Garner-Johnson in, in that kind of a role. But is that a, a 49er advantage? The 49ers' biggest advantage is – having the ball for 35 minutes a game because they will grind the hell out of it. Um, they, they love to run the ball 40 times a game, not because they are the reincarnation of Bo Schembechler, but because they have enough dynamic running game, running backs in McCaffrey and Samuel and Mitchell that they can, they can look pretty dynamic while running the ball. So the longer they can keep the ball on the ground, the better off they are. And it's not conservatism as much as it is just a a different way of getting to five touchdowns. So if they can throw over the middle, that's fine, but it would be a counterpunch to the thing they do best. Ray Ratto uh, from uh, San Francisco has been known as uh, he's, he's an old, I'm talking to my producer, Darren now, he's a very old school 
uh, writer and columnist, which means he he doesn't take any bullshit, and he's got a tremendous bullshit meter, uh, and it has had has had that for so many years. Uh, Speaking of which, that was bullshit. That that, that was bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no well, what I'm saying is that you you'll give an honest assessment, and you you don't give a crap who who cares about it, which is why uh, I admire you, and I admire sports writing. I, you know, that's the, I started. Uh, I, I worked many years at the Inquirer, and we had old school guys like that that I work with, and and the business has changed so much, and you stayed kind of the same, which is how uh, I admire it. So, uh, tell me the difference between how people receive sports, especially football in san francisco as opposed to say how how they would uh uh, handle it here the look fans are fans the only difference in the bay area is that if your team is bad they will not go to the games and call you 12 kinds of bastard they'll stay home which is quite frankly a far more healthy way to approach this why why drive 50 minutes pay 50 bucks for parking 30 bucks for a beer so that you can be unhappy you can be unhappy at home for free um i think that's probably the only difference because they can be as loud and as mean as any other fan base it's just that they've sort of made this you know sort of customer service leap where if you're not entertaining me I'll find a way to entertain myself. And my sense is that in Philadelphia, people are going whether the team is good or bad. But if the team's bad, they will share their feelings with you. Uh, the 49ers will do it through empty upholstery. The Bay Area will do it through empty upholstery. That, that sounds more honest, actually. <laughs> if, if, you're not, if you're not getting the product, don't show up. That doesn't happen here in Philadelphia. You're right about that. Uh, uh, Darren, Ray wears sweaters a lot. And I, I read a story on you, Ray, where uh, you really blanch at sports writers who wear like a sport coat or you know, get really dressed up because they're, they're glorifying you, uh, what you say is an unglorified profession. That they're taking they're taking their profession too seriously. You pretty much feel the same way still. Oh yeah, um, I well nobody almost nobody wears a coat and tie anymore unless they have to be on television. And even then, they're wearing a coat and tie and and slacks and sneakers. So I'm trying to figure out you know why your feet get a better deal than the rest of you. Um, but no, I just you know you're hanging you're 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 watching a game with people screaming obscenities. And after the game, if you have the access, you're going down to watch a lot of naked people sweaty and tired after three hours of ridiculous exertion. So what are you getting dressed up for? It ain't a wedding. You know, just I mean, you know, you should probably be wearing overalls and a welder's hat. As long as you've done this, have you enjoyed being a being a a sports chronicler or a sports journalist? A sports writer. Journalist is probably giving it all the bet, all the best of it. Yeah, because one, it's not heavy lifting. Two, you're not covering a five car fatal on the Schuylkill. Um, And third, you know, even though the hours suck, um, you can be you can have as much fun as you want to have. There's not a lot of fun in an insurance office. So, yeah, I, I like to say when when anybody will deign to listen to me that I've never done an honest day's work. And that's how I plan to go to my grave. I have accomplished nothing for society. I have added nothing to the to the benefits of the culture. All I did was get to the finish line. Yay me! All right, now that you've moved into Sports Talk Radio, um, what 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 is that to you? What is Sports Talk Radio to you? And 
and the San Francisco fan base, uh, like how active are they as Sports Talk Radio callers? Um, well, I've been in it actually for a while because I used to work at the other sports radio station in town. Um, and I've come to realize that if there is a greater collection of social misfits in any part of society than sports talk radio, I can't imagine it being anything other than like a literally a madhouse because those people are nuts, but they also seek out the opinions of fans, which is, which is what I think makes them nuts. I have a healthy disrespect for most people and I've never been dissuaded from that. I just, I'm at the point now where if you say hello to me, my first instinct is to grab for my wallet. Just, you know, no, you're not going to get your hand, hand, you know, you're not get your hand on my money. I, I don't trust you. Um, now, look, it, it's a dodge like sports writing is. In fact, there's probably less work involved. It's, you know, it's less time consuming. But, you know, it's it's part of the same thing. It's, you know, I'm doing something that isn't ba- meant to be serious in a not serious way. So, again, it's it's 15 hours a week of not doing an honest day's work. So I'll sign up for that. But it is a little different in that sometimes, um, you know, an older school guy like yourself or even myself gets trapped into uh, the lure of being a fan because fans want to pull you in that direction. Uh, has that been a transition for you? Have you been able to 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 stay true to yourself with, without – having to pander sometimes because sports talk radio you may have to do that sometimes uh i don't think you have to do anything you don't want to do and if i was ever told you need to be more like a fan i would become more like a retiree i mean i'm not a fan i like the games show me the games don't tell me who's a good guy and who's a bad guy because you don't know don't tell me who's you know morally superior to what other guys more you know morally inferior because you don't know that either what you've got is the games. They're the only honest thing going on. So I don't, ha- I don't have to get tied into a team or a player. You know, I mean, there are players I enjoyed more than others, but you know, I don't know any of them. I mean, we're, it's, a, it's an artificial construct to imagine that we do. So I've not found that difficult at all. I just, I, I, to me, it's, you know, there's three hours of people doing stuff that you can't do anywhere else in society. And then they go home and you go home. So I, I'm not, I've never found the lure of being a fan. I don't, uh, I don't get it, quite frankly. But when, I, I agree with you. But when people say, uh, when people get on you for not being a fan, what do you say to back to them? Bite me. <laughs> um, yeah, because I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not being paid to jolly them along. I'm being paid to be the obnoxious bastard that I am. And when somebody doesn't want me to be an obnoxious bastard anymore... I'll go. I mean, just it's not, you know, I've been lucky that I haven't had to pander. And I've been lucky that people haven't asked me to pander because with me, you sort of know what you're going to get. Um, so I, I've never sort of fallen prey to that. Hey, you've got to be really excited about this weekend's game. No, I don't. I can, I can watch the game. I can, you know, try to analyze the game. Might be a good game and I might enjoy it, but I'm under no obligation. You know, you have to show me what you're doing. I don't have to pretend what you're doing. So I just, I just view it that way. Uh, all those years that you cover, uh, you cover Barry Bonds, obviously, for, for forever. 
Uh, all those years of covering him, how how did you approach covering him? Like, what 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 was the dynamic? And you also had another miserable guy out there named Jeff Kent. I'm curious to know, like, how, how that worked with you. I didn't have a lot of unpleasant exchanges with either one of those guys because in the in the clubhouse, I found that if you were just a hanger on, they would hate you a lot more if you just came in, did your business, and then left. Um, Bonds was not a guy you got cozy with. The only guy who ever really managed to get close enough to him was Nick Peters, the old uh, Sacramento Bee guy, because Nick Peters had covered his father. And Nick learned a long time ago that you're not the player's friend. And I think to a certain extent, Bonds appreciated that because he didn't want you to be his friend or to try to be his friend. I mean, he wasn't pleasant with with Nick either, but he wasn't aggressively unpleasant. And Nick Peters is the guy who taught me, you know, stop pretending they like you because they don't. You know, they just, you know, the best you can hope for is that they will look upon you as a guy doing a job. And the faster you help him do his job, the sooner they can get rid of you. And I think that was the thing with Bonds. We never had like a, a fiery exchange or, you know, a, you know, a, a long standing hate feud. I just when I needed to talk to him, I would. And very often I didn't need to. Um, Kent was largely the same way. Uh, it just, you know, you if you have a reason to go to a guy, then go to the guy get what you get what you need to get and then go you're not developing a relationship that's going to turn into something long lasting when you're both in your 60s so i didn't have as much problems as many problems with them as some people did because i wasn't trying to be anything other than the guy who needed five minutes of their time i wasn't going to be you know i wasn't going to be the guy who did the long feature about you know, the tortured soul, you know, wrapped in the body of a tremendous player. I just, I, I, that wasn't where I was interested. Other people did want to do that and they failed miserably. I mean, I remember one instance where Rick Riley was coming out from Sports Illustrated and he was going to do a story on Bonds that Bonds thought would be largely unpleasant for him. And I'm standing in the clubhouse talking to Riley and he's asking me questions about bonds and I'm, you know, trying to say, well, I don't know the guy that well. I'm probably not the guy to talk to. And just then bonds walks by and stops and does something he never did with me ever before or since he started chatting with me in the most pleasant manner. And it was about five minutes long. And about two minutes in, I realized that what he was really doing was not talking to me, but showing Rick Riley how little he thought of him. And the conversation ends. Bonds goes out to the batting cage and I can't help myself. So I walk up next to him and I just say, just so we understand each other, that was entirely performative. And you don't like me any more than you did yesterday. And he said, oh, absolutely. And I said, "Okay, I just wanted to know I was just a prop. And, you know, that was it. It just we never, you know. I think that was the closest. Well, how did you decide to cover all the the, the stuff that followed him, the, the, the allegations and all that? Like, wh- how did you do that? Uh, he made himself largely unavailable at that point because he, you know, when he wanted to do something, it was going to be like a podium job, you know, whether it be like, uh, you know, 50 people or 100 people in the room. 
And so there was never real any, there was no, never any one-on-one um, interaction. Uh, even the beat writers had a hard time getting that. Um, and the beat writers are the ones who really caught the brunt of it because they weren't the ones who were covering the, the Balco end. They weren't the ones who broke the stories. They were the ones who had to go to Bonds and get, get his reaction. And that was a way crappier job than, than, than what I had because I could write, you know, I could write the story sort of without getting into the nuts and bolts and getting the reaction of the player all the time. And if he did manage to do a gang interview, I could be there for that. But I wasn't going to get to sidle up to him and say, so tell me, you know, how long have you known Greg Anderson? Because he wasn't going to play that. And I knew he wasn't going to play that. And somebody else at our paper, uh, Henry Shulman at the time, was the guy who had to do that. And his job sucked way more than mine. And God love him for doing it. Uh, Ray, was your slant as a columnist on Bonds that he was cheating the game or you know, cheating himself? Or what was your slant? My slant was baseball's taking all the money for this, so they must be okay with it on a certain level. And to sit there and then get on your mind, your high moral horse and say this is wrong um i thought was disingenuous because if they really thought it was wrong they would have turned him they would have gotten proof and then turned him into the cops because if you're doing peds without a doctor's uh prescription that's illegal i mean if you're really going to be that moral about it then you know have your guy arrested well they weren't going to do that and the fact that he was hitting 73 homers a year and they were making boatloads of cash off it without ever returning a dime, that also meant they were OK with it. So I thought whatever disapproval Major League Baseball had about this was a performative and b sort of, you know, one of those punishing your enemies just because you can. Um, if baseball cared about this, they would have done something about it when it became fashionable in the mid 80s and they didn't so i sort of looked at it as you know if this if this is cheating the game then a lot of people have signed up for it including the people who run the game and that's how i viewed it you know i i took sort of the the neutral moral stance on cheating because among other things baseball is about cheating you know i mean it's, it's built on cheating I mean, most sports are built on cheating to one extent or another. You know, if there wasn't cheating, college football would be, you know, a dog show. <laughs> so I, I kind of I kind of was more dispassionate about it because I don't think baseball's church. You know, if baseball was such a, a noble and moral undertaking, why'd they have the color line for 70 years? You know, how, how do you get to be moral after that? Fair enough. Uh, we're talking to Ray Rado, a longtime Bay Area sports reporter uh, in the Bay Area. I just want to go back to the 49ers for a second and talk about Kyle Shanahan. And, you know, from you having a real perspective, uh, he seems to be right now Mr. Wonderful in the NFL. In fact, he got the nomination for uh, Coach of the Year, and Sirianni did not. Uh, tell me about Kyle Shanahan. What do you think of him? And, and, and is, he, is he as brilliant as people say? He's a better human being than Nick Sirianni. I think we all know that. No, I don't know why. I mean, I know why he got nominated. I'm not sure why Sirianni didn't, because he took a team that probably should have won eight games and won 14. 
And usually that that's a, a that's an award that goes to the guy who you know outstrips expectations more than it is a guy who's perfect because if it was perfect though the award would go every year either to Andy Reid or Bill Belichick. Um Shanahan is getting credit for having to go through three quarterbacks and still winning 13 games, which is great. But there were expectations for that team going in. And he didn't really outstrip what people thought they were capable of by a lot. Um, What he's done, and this is the one thing that I guess allows him to be nominated for this award, is that He's found an alternative to the, if you don't have an elite quarterback, you're screwed conundrum because he's never had an elite quarterback. But what he has had is an offensive philosophy that minimizes the ways that a non-elite quarterback can screw you. And I think that's his gift. He's, a, he's built a system that doesn't necessarily fly in the face of modern football, but sort of walks alongside it. And you say, well, if you don't have the best guy, then you get the best guys at other positions and help help your quarterback be as good as he can be. Um, he is also a guy in, who in this town, if they lose two games in a row, he's an idiot or he's too conservative or he's never gotten he's never gotten the quarterback that can make a difference. Well, if you take away the first two years of his career in San Francisco when he was basically shoveling out the stables and rebuilding a team from scratch. I mean, he's like, he like wins 70% of his games. And I'm not sure that there is a way to evaluate a coach in a better way than winning percentage. If he's giving you a chance to win a game three times out of four, then you're pretty good. Um, you know, I, I just think that people wish he, w- he had Pat- Patrick Mahomes. And they wish he was like Andy Reid. Well, he's not. And he doesn't. All right, Ray. Last thing. Um, early in the, the interview, you, you kind of thought the Eagles had an edge. Uh, by the end of the interview, give me your prediction of what happens on Sunday. Uh, I think the Eagles are better. But I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm inclined not to you know, pick a side against the spread as much as I'd say take the Eagles and the under just because I think this is a game that's going to be won by the defensive players. I, I don't I don't look at either team as being so good that they can run up 31 on the other. I just don't see this as a shootout. Um, but if you're going to put a gun to my head, which I think we can all agree would be a pretty good idea, <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take Philly. You'll take Philly. And uh, your sense is they would cover the two and a half. I don't know if they'll cover the two and a half, but I think they're a nice better than on, at the under. Okay. All right. I mean, I could easily see this being, I could see this being like that Giants 49ers conference final in 1990 that ended up 15-13 with seven field goals. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, okay, so you're telling me the Eagles, for the second time in six years, are going to the Super Bowl, following the Phillies going to the World Series with the Sixers on deck. Listen, people don't know how to act if that happens. I got news for you. You're throwing the world upside down here in Philadelphia with all this success. They can't handle it. Look, Philadelphia fans do the same things whether they win or lose, which is go out in the street and scream obscenities at bus drivers. This is not going to be a problem for you. 
You know, all you do is, oh, the game ended. Let's do what we've always done. You'll be fine. I think if the union wins the MLS championship next year, then you got a problem. Okay. Yeah, this is, uh, there's something going on in this town that I don't recognize. Ray Ratto, San Francisco Bay Area legend. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk. Yeah, give it time. You'll feel differently in about an hour. (laughs) See you, bud. It's the Mike Yusinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All righty, it's time for Mike Unleashed. Thanks to Ray Ratto. He's crazy. I love him. A crazy old sports writer. Uh, and Mike Unleashed. A lot of topics this week on Mike Unleashed. Uh, again, Mike Unleashed is kind of a side project here. We talked about the heavy stuff, and the heavy stuff obviously is the Eagles 49ers. But let's go into some other things that caught my eye this week. Okay, let's start with the Baseball Hall of Fame. The only guy elected this year was former Philly third baseman Scott Rowland. And my first reaction to it was, eh, nah, eh. He doesn't belong in a Hall of Fame. I don't think Scott Rowland is a Hall of Fame player. Now, there are a lot of people that follow baseball very closely that will point to statistics that will indicate that he is a Hall of Fame player. And I guess if you stack him up against other third basemen in the Hall of Fame, maybe you get that. But um, I don't feel it. And, and I think you have to go by feel. And I'm trying to overcome the fact that I dislike Scott Rowland intently. Uh, he's one of the Philadelphia sports villains. I mean, a guy who uh, talked his way out of town because it was so bad to play here, and then he went to St. Louis and he called it baseball heaven, and and the guy had the balls to actually sit out on Scott Rowland Day instead of saying, manager, I don't need a rest today. It's Sunday. I understand that you know maybe I could take another day off. It's Scott Rowland Day. I got to play for the fans. And that didn't even occur to him. So I, I have that, that inner feeling about Scott Rowland. But I just don't get – like, I go by feel on Hall of Fame players. I follow baseball very closely, and uh, I just don't get the feel that he's a Hall of Fame player. So, um, you know, that that's where I come out on that. I, if you, He's got a lower batting average than most of the modern-day third basemen. He's got a higher batting average than Mike Schmidt, but obviously Mike Schmidt, with the 200-plus more home runs, gets my attention. Was he the best fielding third baseman of all time? A lot of people will make that case that Scott Rowland was the best. So 281 lifetime average, 300 home runs, maybe the best fielding third baseman. Is that enough to get you in the Hall of Fame? I don't know, and I don't think so. And the fact that he only got in by five votes tells me there were a lot of people on the fence. And if you're on the fence, I don't think you're a surefire Hall of Famer. All right? Now let me tell another Scott Rowland story. Many years ago, uh, and I always make this example, that Scott Rowland was one of the sweetest kids who turned into the devil that I've ever seen. When he first came up, he was a kid from Indiana. Very happy to be here, very congenial, loved playing the game, and he turned. His years in Philadelphia soured him. I'll give you a little example. In days when I was fairly friendly with Kurt Schilling, and I was the Sports anchor at WB17, a lot of people forget those days when I was a nightly sports anchor on the news team, and I had, I had my picture on a billboard as part of a news team. How about that? Uh, and so I used to do, do these, try to do these little goofy things, these goofy video things that I could make as part of the broadcast. And one of the goofy things I was trying to do was with Kurt Schilling and uh, him giving up a home run to me at uh, Citizens Bank Park. And we were going to cut it. We we're going to do the video. So um, I was obviously doing radio at the time, and I only had a small window to do this. And I 
uh, I, I had to meet Kurt Schilling at two o'clock at the field. Oh, I'm sitting in the dugout waiting for Schilling. He doesn't show. No show. He blew me off. And I waited like an hour. I called. I called the station. I go, listen, I, I'm doing this TV thing. I'm going to be late. I get it. So he didn't show. Well, uh, come to find out that Scott Rowland was behind it. That Scott Rowland thought Kurt Schilling was being too friendly to the media and especially to me. And he demanded that Schilling not do it. <laughs> and so Schilling didn't know it. And that's the kind of guy Scott Rowland was. All right. That's incredibly weak, by the way. Really weak. Yeah, it was t- totally weak. But it, that's not the reason I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame. All right? I go by I, – I never hold it against guys' talent. If you belong in the Hall of Fame, you belong in the Hall of Fame. And I just think the feel that Scott Rowland doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. All right, number two on Mike Unleashed happened just the other night. I ventured down to a Sixers game for the first time this year, and, and I'm sitting in the second row uh, in the seats right behind the basket. A courtside seat, second row. You can't beat it. I'm on the end. Uh, who comes in but Allen Iverson and and three of his buddies. And they get the seats right in front of me. AI gets the seats right in front of me. Now, uh, this was a, a really star-studded night. Because not only was AI there, but a couple seats down was actor Jeffrey Wright. You know who Jeffrey Wright is? I love Jeffrey Wright. He's in the Bond movies. He's in the Batman. He's the new Commissioner Gordon. Very understated actor. Very good actor. Tremendous actor. Was it was it is in many movies, many TV shows. The Boardwalk Empire uh, was in that that political movie with uh, Ryan Gosling and uh, uh, and and Giamatti and all those guys. I forget what it was called, but he's a, a tremendous character actor, and nobody knew who he was. He's sitting there, right? He, there's AI, and there's so like celebrities. Dad McNabb was there that night. Julius Irving was floating around. Jeffrey Wright's there. Oh, Jeffrey walks past me. I go, "Hey, Jeffrey, how you doing?" He looks at me like uh, like he was uh, he was startled that somebody recognized him. I go, "I, I admire your work a lot." And he goes, I go, "What are you doing down here?" He goes, "Well, you know, I got to represent Brooklyn." So apparently, he's a Brooklyn guy, and he came down to root for the Nets. I would have geeked out. I think he's a tremendous actor. Yeah, he's he's a tremendous actor. So uh, anyway, people uh, are 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 flooding. To take pictures of AI, and you know, I gotta be honest with you, AI. Whenever I see him down there, uh, AI looks. Uh, well, I, I don't know how to say this, but I, I think I think AI, he's eating well. <laughs> I, I think AI is is uh, enjoys his altered states. Let, let's let's put it that way. So, um, so, so, so people, so I I tweet out, boy, I, I hope I. I didn't ruin Allen Iverson's night with all the people that came down to want to take pictures of me. Not bad. Pretty good line, right? Not bad. Uh, all right. So anyway, uh, at halftime, I go into the special little owners, uh, uh, the soiree situation, because I got those kind of credentials for the evening. And uh, I, I see McNabb, uh, and I try to get McNabb as a guest on the podcast. Go, oh, no, man, I can't do that anymore. I got too many. I got, I got all these kids I got to worry about. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so. And I see Julius Irving, and I Julius has been on my radio show many times. I know I know Doc, and this is the first time I ever shared this this story with Doc. I've shared this story before on the radio and with people, but I never shared it with Doc. And I said, Doc, listen, um, I gotta remind you of this story. I don't know if you remember it or not, but I uh, once did a magazine story on you as well. Uh, uh, you know, in addition to 
to you being on the show a lot. I I, I did a feature magazine story on you. I forget who, who, what magazine I was doing it on. But this was uh, when he was living in Villanova. He was still local. And um, I was sitting on the veranda at his beautiful Villanova home outdoors. And uh, I'm, I'm rolling with this tremendous interview. I mean, he's he's giving it up and you know as a journalist you get a guy on a roll and he's telling stories and it's just fantastic uh and i said doc you remember the uh akita you had he goes oh yeah yeah he goes that the, that name was uh, her name was shakita and uh, i go uh, okay well uh i don't know if you remember this but i was sitting with you on the veranda and uh and you're rolling and i'm uh, taping and taking notes and the whole thing and shakita comes underneath the table and starts humping my leg and he says yeah yeah she used to do that a lot <laughs> and i said now as a journalist I, I as a journalist i had a choice and i said do i stop the interview and shake your dog off my leg and tell you that your dog's humping my leg or do i take one for the team <laughs> take one for... did you take it like a champ Mike? my dedication to journalism that I took one for the team. I allowed the dog to keep humping. I allowed Doc to keep talking. And I got a great interview. You took one like a champ. I did. <laughs> and he was laughing hysterically. All right. Number three on Mike Unleashed. This is something I saw on Twitter. And I'm going to throw it your way, Darren. Since we're going to get ready to do three questions for Mikey Miss. Here's a question for Darren, the producer. You could bring three of these musical artists back to life. And I want oh, you to I take these already. down now. I want you to take these down so you don't forget. Get a, get a little pen and jot them down. Let's go. All right. Uh, you can bring three of these back to life. Which three would you bring back of the following? Michael Jackson, Kurt Cobain, Freddie Mercury, Bob Marley, Janis Joplin. Jimi Hendrix, David Bowie, Prince, Whitney Houston, Elvis Presley, Tom Petty, Jim Morrison, and finally, Ray Charles, Johnny Cash, John Lennon, Tupac. Which of these three would you bring back to life? Uh, well, number one, first of all, absolutely is Jimi Hendrix. No question. We did not get enough of him. I have to go David Bowie, number two. Although, see, I have to take eight. Do I have to take age into consideration here? Like, we got most of what we're going to get out of Bowie. A, a wide open question. I don't care what you take into consideration. Give me three that you would bring back to life. I'll tell you the first three that went to my, that, that stood out to me Hendrix, Bowie, and Prince. Um, I would have to, have to consider Elvis. I would have to consider John Lennon, but I'm going to stick with my my gut and go Hendrix, Bowie, and Prince. You know, I, I would probably agree with that. Uh, however, I I would just have to make room for Tupac because I think Tupac was so fearless uh, that I would love to have heard more of him. Yeah, that's kind of where I put Hendrix in there. Like you need more of him. So so I. You know, Hendrix, obviously, Hendrix, I, you know, that, that ended too soon. Uh, Bowie uh, lived a pretty good life. Prince lived a pretty good life. But we got to appreciate uh, long careers of both of those guys. We didn't get to appreciate the, the career of Hendrix long enough, nor 
uh, Tupac. So that's probably where I would go. I would uh, it would be a tie for me with Hendrix and Tupac. So uh, that's a pretty good question, though, isn't it? I love music questions. You can throw a music question at me every week. Our old friend Big Daddy Graham and I used to talk about sports or music. Like, what's more important? What can't you live without? And every time we had the conversation, ultimately, we always fell back on music because music is every yeah. part of our lives. And yeah, let me just reveal something here. Uh, because yesterday I uh, scored tickets to uh, uh, this brilliant group called The, the National. Uh, and uh, it was really difficult to get these tickets online. I got them, and they're high priced. And they're going to be at the Met in August. And you don't know the national. <laughs> You're like, now, I got to get my national tickets. I'm like, what? What golf course? What, is that a golf? <laughs> seriously, this is a, a total violation. Now, now, I know they're they're more indie than, but they're mainstream indie, and they're they're brilliant. And the fact that you don't have never heard of the national, I have heard of them. I just when you said I have to get my national tickets. My brain did not go right to that indie band. It went to a golf tournament. Yeah, well, the, the, you know, it, the, do your research on them, right? The lead singer's name is Matt Berninger, but their musicianship is just uh, all right. Well, uh, I know uh, I, I I loathe talking music to somebody who doesn't know who the National is. All right, let's now go uh, in the Mike Mazzelli podcast. Brought to you by Bet Rivers, by the way. Download that Bet Rivers app. Let's go. Three questions for Mikey Miss. All right, three questions. And I may throw a bonus question in here uh, just based on something that you brought up earlier because I would like your thoughts on it. All right, so but first, let's do our three questions. Mike, Sunday, it's Championship Sunday. AFC Championship game, NFC Championship game. What's the better day for football? Is it Championship Sunday or is it the Super Bowl, a better football day? No, it's Championship Sunday without question. It's Championship Sunday. I mean, they, these are the teams that have to survive to get to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is so much about not the game that, uh, the, for pure football standpoint, the, the Championship Sunday uh, is, the, is the best. I mean, these are the Final Four, and the, the two survivors get to the Super Bowl, which is a more of a big deal getting there than the actual game itself, in my opinion. The, the fight to get there is better than the actual war of the game. I completely agree. Am I am I right on that? Completely agree. I had two clips loaded if you were going to go Super Bowl. Super no, no, Bowl no, no. is all about the pageantry. It's an event. Yeah, which I enjoy. I enjoy the pageantry sometimes more in the game, unless the Eagles are in it. Yeah. But the championship Sunday is is really the test. No because question. it's 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 you know, you lose, you're done. It's over. Your quest is over. So yeah, that's absolutely more intriguing. And here's the biggest part of that question. The biggest part of the answer is you've got real fans in the stands for championship Sunday. 60, 70% of the fans at the Super Bowl are all corporate giveaways. All right, that's question number one. Question number two. Mike, hopefully we're going to be having this conversation in a week. What's harder to repeat? What's harder to get back to year after year? Year over year, I should say. The World Series or the Super Bowl? Well, I'll tell you what. There is not an easy answer to this question. Uh, because I think the natural uh, answer would be uh, the World Series because uh, it's such a long season and you have to survive it. However, it's now been made easier by the advent of the wild card team getting hot in a short series. So um, 
the 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 length of the season has been mitigated by the fact that you can get hot at the right time and if you won the the year before and you struggle the next year you still can get it back so i will go super bowl because so many things can rip you, you apart as far as getting to another super bowl it never goes smoothly the, the year after you win a super bowl never goes smoothly you have defections you have injuries uh you have uh, uh players who are disgruntled you have celebrating in the off season where you don't come back with the same determination so i would say it's the super bowl i totally agree with you although i do think the bengals are about uh 72 hours away from going to back-to-back super bowls okay you do huh yes i do i think it's uh, eagles bengals all right here we go i don't really care about the afc i gotta be honest with you i haven't even given that any thought at all i don't care I don't like the Bengals. How could you not when every time you turn on the TV, someone's talking about Mahomes' ankle? I, 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 do, I, do not, I do not like the Bengals in this Joe Burrow love. I don't like the Kansas City Chiefs because I'm not that big of an Andy Reid guy. But I uh, logically, uh, with Mahomes hobbling around, you would say the Bengals are the hot team that would get there. But not so fast, my friend. All right? You, you, might, get, you might get Andy Reid against the Eagles in the Super Bowl. That would be – can you imagine the climactic – like it would just unbel- the 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 two weeks in this town. All right, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Anyway, we'll talk about that next week if that happens. All right, question number three. We had Ray Ratto, who's been a Bay Area West Coast sports figure for 20, 30 years, maybe longer. What's the better coast to cover sports on? Is it the niceness being out living out on the West Coast, or is it the Northeast Corridor, East Coast? You know, the Philly, New York. Uh, Boston Hub, what's a better coast to cover sports on? What's the better coast as far as the craft of journalism is concerned? Yes. You're you're a sports reporter, right? That's not even a question. It's the East Coast if you want the action. Now, if you want to have a cozy existence, it's the West Coast. But anybody who's gotten into this profession doesn't want the coziness as opposed to the stories. So the passion is what generates the 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 skill of the job and the enjoyment of the job and you have to cover the passion of the northeast corridor especially the northeast corridor and uh and i can tell you and people ask me this question all the time because i did work in new york for two years and people think new york is the mecca of sports philly is the is the mecca uh, of of sports intensity uh, in new york it's diluted there are too many teams out there too many divisions in boston all right it rivals boston uh, but in Philly, it, it's a way of life. In, in Boston, you got a hundred universities, uh, you know. In in and so it's more intellectual here. It's more blue collar. It's more passionate because it means something to people, and that's the environment you want to cover. Absolutely, it's the. I East couldn't Coast. agree more. All right, one more bonus question for you because you brought up AJ Brown earlier, and you brought up people have been talking this week about how he was a little disgruntled, not getting the ball enough, even though they were winning. A.J. Brown, the last couple of weeks, has done some diva-like behavior. He ripped a quarterback, his backup quarterback, to the media in the locker room, said some things that normally that's in-house business, as my father used to say, in-house. Is he getting a little bit of a diva vibe? Is it just diva, or is he bordering on, like, bad guy behavior here with A.J. Brown? Is it surprising to you that a wide receiver would act this way? I know. I'm not, because that's the number one diva position. This kind of stuff rolls off my back when it comes to wide receivers because that's what they are. So, so no, I listen. I, in fact, I brought it up earlier in this podcast. I, I think a guy like that who started carpet about not getting the ball 
gets the ball the next time, makes it a point to get the ball. His coaching staff makes it a point to get the T.O. My God, would T.O. would act that way, they get him the ball right away. Uh, and, and so that's what they are. It rolls right off my back. It, it makes me think that he's going to have a monster game in this game. So it doesn't affect me at all. I have accepted it. When you bring in diva wide receivers to think they're not going to be divas is your problem, not theirs. <laughs> that's three questions with a bonus question for Mikey Mitch. All right, so now it is time for a thought of the day. We'll end it with thought of the day. I got a couple thoughts of the day. Um, I do this thing now called the stretch zone. You know, I'm a little long in tooth these days, and I'm still trying to be active playing basketball and baseball, even though I've had a ripped up foot and back surgery because I'm an idiot. But I need that kind of activity. I just can't run or jog. I need a game. All right, so... I found this thing called stretch zone. And instead of a massage, they put you on a table and they stretch you. They stretch every muscle in your body. It is amazing. Especially when you get a little older, your muscles knot up a little bit. But that's not really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about somebody who is getting stretched, keeps their phone on, and decides to talk business on their phone as they're getting stretched. Now, this annoys me when I go to the grocery store. And I'll be standing in line and somebody's having a conversation on a speakerphone on their phone. It annoys me in a fast food joint where somebody says, I'm not interested in their conversation. And I can't believe that people don't have the couth to think that their conversations should be private. And if it could be put off when you could go back in your freaking car, that's when you should do it. But let me ask you a question, Darren. When you hear somebody doing this, do you react? I react to myself because, I, like you, it annoys me. Um, and, and I get it. The grocery store or the supermarket is where it probably bothers me the most. I, you know, if, look, if you got to take a quick call and you're in, li- in line, that's fine. I get it. There's no reason. There's no reason whatsoever to have it on speaker at any point ever. Okay. How about if you're on the treadmill? No, I've never taken a call when I'm when I'm working out in the gym. No, I'm if somebody next to you on the treadmill is doing it. Well, in my gym, you're not allowed. But it would bother okay. me. It would bother me immensely uh, because particularly you wouldn't say anything. Would I say anything? No, because I, I usually have headphones on myself. But yeah, it would bother me. But I wouldn't say anything. Okay, so now let's get back to the stretch zone. If you're the stretcher, and 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 there are other tables in the place. Would you, as the stretcher, say, sir, would you please not have the conversation and risk and risk losing the business? Well, first of all, your responsibility at that point is to the clientele base and nobody in there. They're in there for a reason. Yeah, you're getting stretched. It's not a massage, but there's still it's still a point of either relaxation or a part of recovery. And your responsibility at that point is to the entire clientele base. If there's one guy fucking it up for everyone else. You got to say something. All right. My final thought of the day are my thoughts on spam. Not internet spam, not social media spam, actual spam in a can. Now, let me explain this. For breakfast, I have a routine. I don't eat eggs. I've never eaten eggs. I don't like eggs. But I have to have a semblance of protein in the morning. So I'll have a cup of coffee. And normally, I will grill myself up some pork roll with cheese And an English muffin. Well, Taylor Pork Roll is the only brand I buy instead of the cheaper version of Pork Roll, which is not really Pork Roll. Taylor Pork Roll, or as they say in North Jersey, Taylor Ham, is the thing. 
and I usually buy the loaf. Now, that is $9.50 these days. The small little loaf of pork roll. That's expensive. So I venture past this aisle, and I see Spam in a can. And I'm going, how much different could Spam be than pork roll, and it's half the price? People swear by Spam. They love Spam. There's all these people that go, oh, Spam's great. And I go, let me try it. I have never tried Spam in my life. So I take it out of the can. I slice it nice like I'm slicing the pork roll, and I have a Spam and cheese on an English muffin. And I have learned one thing. Never buy spam again and pay the extra five for the Taylor frickin' pork roll. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> That's my closing thought for the day. I hope everybody adheres to these little principles that I put out there. This has been the Mike Vicinelli Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the damn Bet Rivers app. It's fantastic. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Spread it around. Here's the thing about the podcast. Subscribe to it. It'll come to you. People go, oh, how do I get it, Mike? Just get it. Subscribe to it. It'll come to you every week. It's really easy. Let's make this audience grow. You can contact me. Email. I love emails. Mike at MikeMiss.com. And you can also get me on Twitter. MikeMiss25. In honor of that stiff Ben Simmons, who I saw the other night, who passed up at least four shots in the first half again and got punked by Joel Embiid. All right. My prediction Eagles 24, 49ers 20. Everybody have a great rest of the day and have a great weekend as we watch this game. We will talk about it. Monday is the next Mike Missinelli podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.